Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Welcome back to an ongoing series exploring the life and crime of Lindsay Suvonaroth, the young woman convicted of conspiracy to commit murder as a result of her role in the foiled Halifax Shopping Center Valentine's Day shooting plot. In the last episode in this series, titled Part 6, Lindsay and the Columbiners, we were joined by investigative journalist Rachel Monroe, who helped us better understand the strange but widespread subculture that Lindsay Suvonaroth found both a home and a co-conspirator in. But despite having covered Lindsay's connection to a group that looks up to the perpetrators of a horrific school shooting as folk heroes, we aren't done with the antisocial group she was or is a member of. Lindsay, as anyone who's been following this series knows, is a Nazi. In fact, she's perhaps even more devoted than she appeared during her appearances on the show, as the majority of this discussion surrounding her ideological views was not included in the episodes. There were several reasons for that editing decision, but chief among them is the simple fact that I was much more interested in how she became a Nazi than I was about the specific beliefs of a Nazi. So at this point in the series, We've already heard Lindsay describe her personal views on the route she took towards Nazism, but we're going to dig a bit deeper. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we'll enter the frightening world of Lindsay, the internet, and radicalization. In the days and weeks after releasing an episode of Nighttime, I often hear from people connected to the stories I've covered, be it friends or family members of the people involved, citizen detectives who follow the case, or journalists or researchers that are connected to the story in some capacity. My coverage of Lindsay Suvonaroth's story certainly was no exception. I heard from people from all across the spectrum. The guest of this episode, tonight, was in fact one of them. Mac Lamaru is an investigative journalist with Vice.com. Mac is well known and probably as respected as he is hated for his work investigating the far right and other extremist movements in Canada. We originally connected as Mac was interested in the role the internet played in Lindsay's connection to Nazism. And after speaking to him and going on to read a few of his pieces covering websites and people connected to Lindsay, my eyes were opened to a different facet of the story I hadn't given as much thought as I probably should have. Now, I found it all fascinating, and as such, I assumed many of you will as well. So I invited Mac to share his work and some of his ideas on the Internet's role in radicalization with all of you. 
but our talk is about more than just the internet facilitating extremist radicalization. Mac knows a lot about people and websites directly related to Lindsay Suvonarov. And when you hear about it, you may change your opinions on some aspects of her story. Now, I only covered Lindsay's interest in Nazism in a very light, scratching-the-surface type way, and I didn't inject many of my personal opinions, but I will say this. Obviously, Lindsay's ideological belief seems to conflict with her personal identity and background. And perhaps because of that, it's easy to roll our eyes and mock her for labeling herself a Nazi. But as you'll hear in the discussion with Mac, Lindsay was actually closely connected with some very dangerous and very influential members of the internet's far-right neo-Nazi underbelly. The mainstream coverage of her story and this crime didn't seem to get into this part of her history. So even those of you listening who follow this story closely may be surprised by some of what Mac and I get into. So without any further ado, let's welcome Mac Lamaru and get into a discussion about Lindsay, the internet, and radicalization. I'm Mac Lamaru. I'm a reporter with Vice Canada. Uh, before that, I was with CBC Edmonton. I report quite a bit on far-right extremism, both within Canada and the United States. Lately, that's kind of meant reporting on Adam Waffen, whether or not that neo-Nazi terror cell is in Canada, um, the anti-Islam uh, militia within Alberta, the 3%, um, you know, the anti-Islam street patrol group, Soldiers of Odin, um, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. How did, how did you get into like this, this radicalization and these far right groups? Like, how did you get into researching this stuff? So it probably would have started three, four years ago in around 2015, where I noticed online that there was kind of a jump in far right groups in Canada. And I was actually looking for that because I knew that in 2008, when Barack Obama was elected in the States, there was a massive jump in far-right groups and militias. So I thought, when okay, when Trudeau uh, got elected and we went from a right-wing government to a left-wing, let's see if maybe we're going to have a similar jump. Uh, and lo and behold, we did. And I noticed that one, the soldiers of Odin, uh, were actually recruiting in a far-right Facebook group I had joined to kind of watch. Um, and so I more or less just tried to join them and i did uh i went under a fake name and i joined the group for a day and got their bylaws published them and kind of outed this group that they were forming within canada and ever since then i've just been reporting on these groups and through that i've ended up speaking to a bunch of former neo-nazis who left the left the movement i've spoken to you know militia members i've spoken to former uh, neo-nazi terrorists i've spoken to uh, quite a few people uh, on the far right spectrum if you will so i guess that would be my entryway into kind of looking into far right radicalization now you and i met through Lindsay's story mm -hmm. and and when, when we did meet you you've already known a lot about Lindsay's story and had even wrote a, I think a piece or two um, before we even met about it. Like, how did you how did you learn about what happened with Lindsay in Halifax here at the uh, you know the the plot at the mall? Like, how did do you recall first learning about all this? I think I found out about it in the same way most people found out about it. I just read about it on the news, and I just remember thinking this is nuts. And then it more and more stuff kept coming out. You had uh, cock swastika. 
um, Iron March, neo-Nazis, um, Columbine obsession. And I just remember being, I wouldn't say obsessed, but it was definitely like a story that I think I and many other Canadians were just, we followed quite closely because it was just so wild. Most recently, you wrote an article about about Lindsay that kind of looked at it from the angle of how internet radicalization may have played a role in you know where where she ended up you know in prison here in Canada. But even mm-hmm. bef- before that article, you did a in depth piece on fascist forge and Iron March, and that kind of relates to Lindsay because that article made quite a few references to an ex boyfriend of hers named Slavros, which is the guy she hinted at in the episode as. Uh, an online boyfriend that you know was foolish and it ended badly. But why don't, why don't you mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about Fascist Forge, Iron March, and Slavros, and how this all relates to Lindsay Suvonaroth? So it all kind of goes down to um, the man that you were referring to, Alexander Slavros, who's this kind of mysterious Russian man um, who is incredibly influential in the modern day neo-Nazi fascist movement, what do you ever want to call it, uh, the most extreme um, side of you, the white nationalist movement. He um, founded a website called Iron March in, I believe, around 2015. Um, now, Iron March is it's a site completely inspired by this notion of acceleration, of just advance, like, their tagline was race war now. They, they didn't want a slow process to a white ethno state. They wanted to help it out through terrorist actions, more or less. Um, you can say how much of it was talk, how much of it was real, but that's essentially what their ethos was. Um, and Slavros also, through this, ended up writing several books that put forward this uh, neo-Nazi fascist ideology. Uh, a Squire's Tale was one of them. He would edit and put out a uh, you know, like a, a neo-Nazi zine called Noose, uh, Rope Culture was another one. And on Iron March, this website that was partially founded by this man, Adam Waffen was formed, which is probably the one thing people have heard in connection to Iron March. Um, now, Adam Waffen is a neo-Nazi terrorist organization that was founded on here, uh, very similar to the ESOS I just described, and actually has uh, blood on its hands in 2017, uh, five people were killed as a result of this terrorist cell of young men that were radicalized online and radicalized each other. It's almost a death cult, you could say. Um, And so this is the type of ideology we're speaking about. And so one of the interesting things in regards to Slavros is Lindsay and him, according to quite a few people who were in the community and have written about it online, um, were in an online relationship. How serious it was, we don't really know. She very seemingly hinted at it in her interviews with you. And online, there's been talks that it was kind of more important for her than it was for him and ended in a pretty bad way. And yeah, it's... It's a very interesting connection. Uh, And through, you know, Iron March, to this day, it still has ramifications in the far-right world. Uh, It was taken down in 2017 following the Atomwaffen attacks. We don't know if for sure it was a cause, but we know that's when it went down. And it's inspired copycat 
forums. Um, Fascist Forge is something that I've just recently reported on, that one of the sections online is an entire archive of Slavros writing. He's People haven't heard from him in several years now, but he's still um, influential in this scene. And this was somebody that, even how serious or not, Lindsay had a relationship with uh, and obviously had to spend at least a, a little bit of time with him and how influential he was in her thoughts of, you know, acceleration of direct action of actually picking up a gun and doing something would be very interesting to see. Um, mm-hmm. Sadly, right now we don't know though. Yeah. It, it, I think it, more than anything, it just kind of shows the circle that she was mixed up with mm-hmm. online. And a lot of people, I think, hear her talk about Nazism and, and all this and think she's it's just like the ramblings of a lunatic. But Lindsay was involved with a lot of people who really thought deeply about this stuff. And like you mm-hmm. said, Slavros in, inter- in, is a, you know an influential figure in this whole movement. And exactly as you said, I don't know how close mm-hmm. they were, but I know it's close enough that when they did split up, Lindsay basically launched a a pretty intense campaign against his new girlfriend that she the girlfriend he mm-hmm. had after her and a lot of people online will have come across the different memes she made and stuff uh, you know harassing this girl or whatever you want to call it but uh, and another thing too and I don't know a lot about Adam Waffen but I do mm-hmm. know that they're they're the the style or the aesthetic they use is very similar to the way she was planning to dress. Like they wear the little skull mask that she had brought to Halifax. Yeah. I don't know if she, how she's connected or if she is with them, but I, I just to me it makes it seem like after reading your your articles, it makes me feel even more uncomfortable about Lindsay's connection with you know the neo Nazi movement. Like it seems much more real after reading what the the different things you wrote about these groups. That's the thing is they kind of speak in such a way that it doesn't really seem real unless you understand like their vernacular. They try and treat it almost in this kind of high level intellectual movement. Like I I know what the term esoteric Hitlerism means, and that haunts me that I have to know what that means. Uh, and it's just, and they also, yeah, as you were speaking, they have an entire aesthetic called Terror Wave. They call it, like is how they refer to it. It's it's this entire sub community. Um, it's this entire little subculture within themselves. Um, I don't want to like connect it to like the punk scene or any sort of music scene, but it's almost similar to that. Like they have their own way of speaking. They have their own kind of ideology. They have their own way of dressing um, their own hierarchies. It's, it's an interesting little movement if it wasn't so terrible. Yeah. Um, and it's like, when I think of Lindsay, like she was mixed up with these very, in my mind, very dangerous extreme groups. Mm-hmm. Then at the same time, she was mixed up with, you know, the Columbiners. Like it's just, um, she managed to kind of weave herself into some pretty dysfunctional online communities, it seems. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what brings me to, I guess, the topic of your most recent article about Lindsay, the idea of people being radicalized through their exposure to these groups on the internet. So Mm -hmm. could you just talk a bit about about your thoughts on that and, and your thoughts on the internet's connection with helping to radicalize someone like Lindsay. So radicalization in the internet is kind of a huge issue. Um, It's something that we're just now addressing. Um, And not even in regards to just 
uh, right-wing extremism. Um, who, one group we've seen really, really um, utilize the internet for radicalization really well is, um, you know, as Islamist uh, extremists. ISIS uh, is a perfect example of people that use the internet to radicalize. Think of um, the young man in Calgary who was radicalized in his own home and went to Syria, and I believe he was killed there fighting for the caliphate. What you have is you have these communities that you're able to create this echo chamber online uh, around yourself and just through normalization start to believe these ideas are real. There's two major styles of recruitment into radicalization. There's active and there's passive. Online, um, you can have active recruitment, which is going to be recruiters on Twitter and everything that are spreading their message, that are talking to you, that are being like, you know what, come here. There's the people on the forum that are like, you know what, maybe you should read this book or watch this video online. Read this thing by Slavros, as we were talking about. But then you have passive recruitment, which is, um, think of just a white power song on YouTube that somebody comes across, and most of us, let's say 80 of us, are going to say, that's strange, I don't like that, that's racist is all hell, let's not, let's report that. 20, 20 more people might be like, okay, well, you know what, um, I don't believe in this. I'm kind of interested. Let me just continue down this. And then it's going to keep going down until maybe there's one or two who are going to end up on Iron March or Fascist Force just through this radicalization. Um, and that's kind of what, in your conversations with Lindsay, seemed to happen. It seemed to start with just her coming across a, just coming across a picture on DeviantArt. And it wasn't even a neo-nationalist socialist image. It was this just this picture she liked and she liked it and she followed the author and it turned out of all things um the author was a nazi and she struck up a friendship with him and online you know you can be whatever you want to be and that's kind of how a woman with Laotian background could end up being a neo-nazi and through this she sounds like she just got into online communities which just it, it radicalization works through a process of normalization and so just the more normal these ideas become, the more you start to believe them, the more convincing they can be. And that sure seems what happened to Lindsay. Where you spend so much time, you know, hearing mm-hmm. these stories and digging into this stuff, what can be done to prevent this from happening? Like I'm thinking like you can shut down a site like Ironforge, but there's a thousand more that are just going to pop up. Like how do you stop a vulnerable person from finding their way down that radical, that, you know, that radical rabbit hole and eventually Mm -hmm. get sucked up in it? Like how can we stop this? Well, that's exactly it is actually a lot of researchers describe the process of taking down these radicalization sites, these forums, you know, YouTube channels, uh, secret Facebook groups, whatever you you have it, um, it's a process. Uh, it's almost like whack-a-mole. Um, they report them. They they bring them to you know either a hosting site. They bring them to YouTube, and sometimes YouTube uh, or the hosting site or Facebook or whatever will get rid of them. But new ones will pop up, and also you run the risk of sending these people more underground. Maybe next time you won't find them, and they're going to be more extreme, and they're going to feel um, backed into a corner. So. Research has proven that where you want to stop the radicalization process 
is the portion of time when they're just starting to get into it, when they're just kind of falling down the rabbit hole. Once you have people decide on actions, if you say that young man who went to Syria from Calgary, once they have decided I'm joining this and have made concrete plans to do so, it's very difficult to stop them and to dissuade them because they've made commitments. It's the process. It's the time before that when they're just starting to watch the videos, just starting to read the literature, just starting to get in there. And the way you do that is something I don't think we've fully grasped yet. There's been very interesting kind of programs that have worked to stop this. Um, there's been people online that have made uh, YouTube videos that show what life in the caliphate is really like for ISIS um, recruits. Uh, and they used actually targeted ads to target people that were reading um, propaganda or, and reading and watching videos uh, to get these ads to them to show them, you know what, it's not like what they say. Talk to us, we'll get you through. And in all other things, some groups uh, have people um, undercover within these forums working, uh, you know, undercover on through a keyboard, of course, but in these forums and everything that are trying to dissuade people from joining. And so there's stuff like that, but it's a problem we're still struggling with. And there is, it's one of those ones where there is no easy answer. There are things we can do, and there's things that point to uh, what make a person more likely to be radicalized. Sadly, one of them is um, distrust in mainstream media, um, which we're seeing a lot of these days. But it's the million-dollar question, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with uh, you, you were familiar with Lindsay's story before you heard the multi-part interview there on my prior episodes. Was there anything she, she said that really surprised you about her views on you know race and how she came to form those views? Like, was there any part of that that really surprised you or really kind of backed up anything kind of that you thought about radicalization? It it was definitely not that different from other stories I've heard. Um, it's definitely a very modern one, which makes it interesting and makes it something I think that we can learn from. And kudos to you for providing that. I think we can learn a lot from your conversation with her. But for the most part, it, it's very similar to how a lot of modern radicalization happens. Um, the interesting thing was how much of it was pairing the neo-Nazi radicalization with this kind of death cult obsession with Columbine, that's very, very interesting to me. Um, and I hope somebody kind of takes the time to research. I honestly think the biggest thing that surprised me was actually just her affectation and how she spoke. Um, it was chilling. Uh, she spoke about, you know, firebombing a Halifax mall, shooting as many people as they can, and then James walking over with a knife and executing the rest of them like I would speak about, you know, what I'm going to make tonight. It, And it was just, I guess, the level of detachment from the actions is something I typically hear when I speak to somebody that has been radicalized or somebody that has been de-radicalized and speaking about their former actions. Um, and it will never not be 
incredibly chilling to hear. I want to end this episode by again dedicating the series to the person or persons responsible for the anonymous tip to Crime Stoppers. Without your intervention, things certainly would have gone differently. Thanks to you, I'm covering a foiled mass shooting plot, and not the real thing. And with that, we'll conclude this episode of Nighttime. I want to end with some thanks. A big thank you to Mac Lamaru for sharing his knowledge on Lindsay's story and the broader topic of the internet as a venue for extremist radicalization. For those of you interested, I've linked to Mac's articles about Lindsay and about the Iron Forge website in this episode's notes. A huge shout-out goes to the Canadian bands Vox Somnia and Paragon Cause for providing the musical and ambient themes for this episode. You can check out both great bands by following the links in the show notes. And now I'll end with the biggest thanks of all, I want to give a big thank you to anyone listening, as without you, I'd have no excuse to spend so much of my free time on this show. For anyone out there who wants more nighttime, check out the Patreon group. For as little as a dollar a month, you can support the creation of the show and access the supporter-exclusive feed, which provides ad-free, early releases of episodes, in addition to prior episodes no longer available on the main feed. You can join by visiting Patreon dot com slash nighttime podcast and with that said i'd like to thank the current patrons of the show and welcome the newest members to the group lizard martin lauren ruthopedia kel and jody lampa i appreciate your generous support of nighttime for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't help financially you can give me a big hand by telling your friends about me and leaving a positive review on apple podcasts or whichever equivalent you use if any of you listening want to stay up to date with my activities, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I use the handle at NighttimePod. And if you have any story ideas or feedback on the show, I'd love to hear from you at NighttimePodcast at gmail.com. Now until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.